just a quick warning that we're going to be talking about life and death and mythology, probably some religious themes, probably some existentialism, obviously, some birth. Did I already say death? I don't know. Heavy, heavy, heavy themes. So if you're not in the right headspace for that, maybe just skip these next few episodes. to another episode of A Hopeless Endeavor, a Joanna Newsome podcast. I'm Sam. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm Nikki, and I'm sounding the alarm because this is the last song on Divers, and I don't know how to process that. You know, when I last looked at our podcast stream, we have 133 episodes out. And that's hard to believe because it doesn't feel like we've talked for 133 hours, but also it really does. If I didn't, if I didn't have, like you said, in whatever we just recorded, the brain of a potato, I would remember <laughs> more about that. But, you know, yeah, just, a lot of it just doesn't, doesn't stick, but that's okay. Yeah, that is okay. And, uh, it, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It feels crazy. You're like 133. That's a big number. And then you're like, yeah, but also I can't really remember a time when Sam and I weren't talking about doing some every week. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we've been doing it for a while. But in any case, this is part one of time as a symptom. I need to know your initial impressions about the song. I need to know how you feel about the song now. Tell me what you think. I think it was immediately one of my favorites. Like I've said before, the last three songs on this album just hit the hardest for me. Um, and I think because like the cyclical nature of the album was pretty immediately obvious. Like I did a lot of whole um, album listening when it first came out um, that I would do the last three songs to anecdotes pretty I mean, the whole album pretty, pretty consistently. Um, and just like the bop that is the last verse blew Ugh. my mind immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, loved it initially. Still love it very much. My first note here is the song makes me want to tear up immediately. There's like some kind of emotion in her voice for the entire song that like feels kind of warbly. And like, you know, when you're about to cry and like your chin is quivering, that's kind yeah. of like the vibe that I get here. And it's also like, it makes me feel very overwhelmed. There's all of these like themes that we've been talking about throughout the album that kind of mash up against each other here. So 10 out of 10. Love it. It's incredible. What do you think? <laughs> Fully agree with all of that. 10 out of 10. I would go so far as to say that this is one of my favorite Joanna Newsom songs. I think it's my favorite song on the album, which is a huge statement, obviously, because I think this album is a masterpiece. I cannot listen particularly to the end of this song yes. without crying. And going back to what you said about it, like the feeling of it being very overwhelming, like I want to just 
agree with that wholeheartedly because like there's something about the two, how do you say that? Like two, not voices, but two parts happening at the same time at the end when mm-hmm. there's like, um, when you can't quite hear clear sentences because there's another sentence being spoken or sung underneath it. Mm-hmm. There's something about that that I find so beautiful, so overwhelming and so fitting to the existential fucking dread and pleading and uh, angst and hardship that just like feels like a culmination of all of the all of the emotions on the album at once feel like they're occurring within that last little bit and it's such a desperate just like like opus or I don't even know it's a lot. It's a big, big song. And it's not her, like, it's five minutes, 28 seconds long. It's yeah. not like her longest song by far. How long is a pinlight bent? A pinlight bent is four minutes. Yeah, they're just short little guys. Yeah, Take My Heart Alive is four minutes. So we have less than 15 minutes, less than only skin in these three songs <laughs> that um, just really throw the fuck down. <laughs> they really, really do. For me, in in this song in particular, when I don't even know how to describe this because you know us and musicality, but like, you know, when she says, I know that you can yield when it comes down to it. And at some point around there, a drum happens where you wouldn't expect a drum to happen. It like reminds me of like Neil Morgan-y drums from previous albums. Although I don't think it was Neil Morgan on this album. Well, we'll get back to you on that. But there's something about the unexpected drum it reminds me of the unexpected drums in Have One On Me, the title track. And it just, from there, I'm like, oh my God, it's like defiant and powerful and like shit is about to go down. And like, I just start crying. <laughs> I just, my heart can't handle it. There's so, yeah, there's so many things that just like, like that the first line is time passed hard. I just want to fall over. Like that, it makes me want to cry just thinking about it. Like it, it does fucking pass hard. It does. It passes so hard. Like that's the thing too, is that this song, if you're describing like in a one sentence summation, like what is the theme of this song? You might say something like it's to like find joy and find meaning and that that meaning and joy that you find in your life indoors beyond death and like the pain and all that stuff but that really feels like it it oversimplifies the song a little bit because I think that you're right like the opening line of the fucking song is like just positioning all of us immediately as immediately as like recognizing the intense struggle that all of this is that living is you know and then also the line joy of life is something that I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, With one of our friends, um, whenever something really fucked up happens or even like a small inconvenience or something, the text that we send each other is joy of life. Like (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh my God. It's a funny little joke, but it's also like, yeah, the nullifying, defeating, negating, repeating fucking joy of life. Yeah. Ugh. So obviously this is a huge song. It's difficult to know where to start, but I feel like if any song merits like 
an introductory episode before we get into like, you know, our line by line by line analysis. I feel like it's time is a symptom. Okay. So where do we go from here? Well, we're lucky enough to have several outside sources to draw upon, right? Praise be. Praise be. Um, So we definitely have two Michael Hicks articles. Um, One is called Joanna Newsom's Word of Warning, a cautionary tale hidden in the immense precise vocabulary of time as a symptom. So we'll be looking at that pretty closely, Mm -hmm. as well as our perfect secret keeping mysteries hidden and revealed in Joanna Newsom's time as a symptom. Um, The first one was from 2016, but blessing of all blessings, um, our perfect secret keeping came out or was written, uh, released March 21st. So 2023. 2023 very recently um and then we also Um, have yeah go no no no, you go i was just gonna say we also have blessing all the birds um i've only been looking at this one but correct me if i'm wrong i'm sure there's other ones um the delving into divers series time is a system time is a system oh boy (laughs) time is a symptom um by melissa and rachel Yes, I love that article. There's also the anecdotes times a symptom chiasmus article. Mm. Uh, we talked about about that a little bit when we talked about anecdotes, but there are just a couple parts in there that I wanted to revisit. And it's it's funny, Sam. We our last recording session was a weird one because we had started to do a bonus episode on Little Hand, and then we got cut off. And for some reason, it makes me question. Like I was just going to say, list, list, like we talked about movement and direction in our last recording. And like for some reason, I remember talking about the movement of time as a symptom in our last recording. But like that doesn't make any sense because why would we have talked about that for a pin light bent? But also it's us. So like maybe we did. <laughs> maybe we did. But uh, one of the things that I really loved, if I'm, if I'm repeating myself, I'm very sorry. But one of the things that I really loved from the anecdotes, time is a symptom, chiasmus article from Blessing All the Birds, which as as always is linked in the show notes, is the idea of anecdotes just really mirroring time as a symptom, yes. especially in terms of the movement and directionality. Um, so I just wanted to read a little quote here. Throughout the song, we see the narrative shift from the earth to the heavens in time as a symptom. While in anecdotes, we move the opposite direction, another reversal of its sister song. Many songs in divers move from the earth to the sky, from the sky to the earth. We can see that anecdotes, as it moves from the sky to the earth, is connected to sapoconican and a pin light bend and time as a symptom. As it moves from the earth to the sky, as it moves from earth to sky, is connected to you will not take my heart alive on 101st Lightborn Elite. In time as a symptom, we furthermore are able to see why the narrator in anecdotes rushes home. He wants to experience the nullifying, defeating, negating, repeating joy of life with his family too. That means more to him than transcending time in the ways of man, of war, of violence. The mother in time as a symptom never wants the dew to dry. She wants no end for her love. She invokes the album's birds, Rufus Nightjar, the Lightborn elite, Jesus, and the Greek gods to feel assured that time moves both ways, that temporal infidelity is possible, that love can survive and bring peace to ourselves and loved ones, even if we are materially absent. We can live, we can die, we can be, be dead and continue to live all at once. It's a beautiful piece of writing. 
dude, the writers on Blessing All the Birds are ridiculous in their in their eloquence. Um, mm-hmm. But I just loved that. I loved uh, the I, I, first of all, just the mirroring of movement, as I said, is really cool. But also, I love the idea that in anecdotes, like once we get to time as a symptom, we start to answer some questions that we might have had about anecdotes. So like, why is it rushing, tearing, speeding home? Well, maybe it's informed by the sort of, uh, um, I don't want to say romanticizing of domesticity, but like the, the joy of domesticity that we find in time as a symptom gives a reason for our narrator and anecdotes to want to rush, tear, speed home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful loop. It really is. It's a beautiful loop. And actually, our one of our amazing listeners, Jack, um, has a Tumblr post. Um, I'll ask Jack's permission to do this. But uh, assuming I get that permission, I will link to this in the show notes. But uh, he does a really cool... Actually, there's, there's two um, that I'm thinking of. So one of them is called The Perfect Loop in Joanna Newsom's Divers. And he um, mashes together the end of Time is a Symptom and the beginning of Anecdotes um, so that you can hear like the the bird calls and sort of the background noises um, blended together. Um, so uh, he writes, and I noticed that if you listen closely to the end of time as a symptom after the clipped final word, you can hear the same bird call that is heard at the start of anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I think um, when I was listening to this, like, uh, circle cycle thing. So end of time is a symptom, beginning of anecdotes. To me, at least, the morning dove call in anecdotes is more echoey. It feels like very far away. It feels different. Yeah. But in time is a symptom, it felt like it was right in my ear. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, won- I was wondering if there's something there too. There's also a white crowned sparrow in there too. I remember when we were mm. when we recorded the anecdotes episode. Um, I was like, there's another bird. And then someone told us or we found it somewhere. So morning oh, dove, cool. white crowned sparrow. Very good memory, Sam. Oh. Not the memory of a potato. It was written in the notes. <laughs> Otherwise it would be gone. <laughs> um, so actually sort of reading, reading Jack's post again, what he did is not just um, put the two parts next to each other, but um, he anchored the songs by the bird call. So like instead of there being space between the bird call at the end of Time is a Symptom and the beginning of Anecdotes, he edited the the in-between parts out. So he says, of course, I edited these two parts together so that the bird calls sound at the same time, forming what I now believe to be the true loop of this album. What's more is that there's a sustained E-flat note that hangs in the background of both of these samples, so it makes the loop completely seamless, which is really fucking cool. Interesting. hmm Really interesting. Very cool, Jack. Thanks for sharing that. So, yeah, like I said, I will link to that. Um, one more thing about the bird call, uh, and we probably said this when we were talking about anecdotes, but it's been a while. <laughs> so uh, this is from a... New York Times interview with her and the New York Times writes, the album concludes with Time is a Symptom, which opens with bird calls and Miss Newsom alone singing to stark piano chords. Uh, 
Then suddenly the song turns ecstatic. An orchestra appears, her, vo- her voice multiplies, the lyrics splinter from sentences to incantations. The bird calls persist. It's the sound of a morning dove with notes that Miss Newsom realized she had put into her melody. She had to consult bird watchers and Cornell's online bird song archive to learn what it was. And then here's a quote from Joanna. I just knew it was the bird call I'd been hearing all of my life at the end of the day since I was a little child, she said. It feels like a sort of quiet, happy lonesomeness of things ending in the fullness of time. Jeez. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. of course you're going to fucking be that beautiful of a speaker too. Cool. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Great. Wow. Okay. One other thing. I wanted to keep in mind as we go through was that um, in the article, Joanna Newsom's Word of Warning, again by Michael Hicks, um, he brings up a few themes that I'm not going to dig into right now, but that I would just like to have in mind as we go through. So again, these are the tensions that we've talked about. I'm sure you're like, oh my God, the tensions. But <laughs> here, are, here are some that Michael Hicks names. So we have... Darkness and light, camouflage and visibility, burial and resurrection, war and peace, ignorance and knowledge. So thematically, things that make a lot of sense. As I was reading these, I was thinking, I feel like the tensions you and I have been talking about are these giant categories of life, death, um, you know, up, like ascension, uh, dissension. Um, but like I like nature man-made like, yeah, yes, yeah. these like really, really broad, non-specific categories. But I liked these ones from Michael Hicks because I feel like they center us a little bit more um, still within those broader categories, but just a little, a little more specific, a little smaller. Yeah. Okay. Um, Where do we go from here? Maybe if it's okay with you, Sam, I... We'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that Melissa writes about in Mm -hmm. the Delving into Divers article. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm sure that you read this too. But um, I really like Melissa's idea of the narrator in Time as a Symptom being being a woman and then the narrator in Anecdotes being a guy. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that I um, uh, am wedded to those theories, but... Uh, I I do like this sort of playing with gender. And so I had a quote from Melissa here that I thought we could maybe talk about um, mm-hmm. the ideas. And so, okay, she, she writes, the song begins with the imagery of a mother after she looks upon her child because birth itself illuminates the painful and dichotomous anxiety, which we must always live. Once born, we are forced into facing our mortality. We then cling desperately and greedily to life and also hope for immortality because of all the happiness life bears for us. As we live, we die and we really do not want to die. Beginning with the birth imagery also calls to mind a tension I have explored throughout Divers in our series, the conflict of transcendence and imminence and thus masculinity and femininity. Birth and death equalize both men and women via imminence, although men have a closer relationship with transcendence because of their control of culture, discourse, art, and relationships. Although men might want to dispel inevitable inevitable bodily imminence through transcendence, 
Uh, everyone's portals into life and out of life are feminine spaces we must leave and enter. All people, even men, first leave the body of women and lastly enter the earth, the figurative woman. Uh, femininity is the beginning and ending of time as we know it. As Claudia Day argued in her recent piece in the Paris Review, mothers are the makers of birth and death. And again, there is a connection between Newsom's work and my academic research into the Roman poet Ovid, who routinely presents death as a feminized experience and depicts violent women and mothers whose fulsome femininity embodies death. So, I mean, there's a lot there. There's the feminization of death, and then there's also the feminization of imminence and the masculinization of transcendence. So what do you think? I love... Again, this cyclical idea that like we are born a woman and we die in some feminized version of that. Um, I think thematically that fits really well and is also just like a really beautiful um, idea. Totally. What else do I think? I don't know. I was not surprised. That's not the right word. But I think just like I hadn't been thinking about and, and I don't know why, but I hadn't been thinking about the narrator at the end of time is a symptom as necessarily imminent. So that is, I hadn't been thinking of her as someone who is bound to the earth and is pleading to other people who are not bound to like material existence. Um, for some reason, I just like hadn't put those thoughts together in my mind. But what Melissa says here makes me think that, that, that's exactly what's happening is that there's this feminized woman character at the end calling like out and up to all of the transcendent characters that we see throughout the album. So if imminent just means fixed to one spot, not able to transcend, um, then it's this like extra layer of sadness to me that we have this woman who's just stuck there being like, oh my God, please, like, Nightjar, Rufus, Christ, like whoever she's calling out to um, has a different ability than she does. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. It is. And we've talked about this idea of being, um, of genders being divided among those spaces too, right? Throughout all of her albums. Um especially recently, like, uh, bound to the earth, to the sky, to the sea, to the shore. Um, but I also hadn't thought of it from that perspective. I like that if we are, if our narrator is imminent, is stuck on land, that like the variety of characters that they're reaching out to really really covers everyone right so we have birds yeah. that can fly yeah. um we have what was the other one like maybe christ uh rufus nightjar which is just another bird yeah given a man's name i want to assume like maybe men because men yeah, yeah. have the territory of the sky but then also like you said christ <laughs> like yeah. Sure. If we're speaking of like beings that transcend, yeah, that <laughs> yes. maybe that's up there. Um, yeah, who's also a dude. Who's also a dude. That. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so it's interesting that we're maybe like our narrators maybe like reaching towards different levels of transcendence, being like, okay, if you can't help me, maybe the next one will. If you can't help me, maybe the next one. If you can help me, it's gotta be Christ. Like <laughs> <laughs> someone up there. Like Yeah, that that's a someone. Like anyone up there. Like it's such a that adds to the desperate feeling of it that there's that many like just anybody, like, can you hear me? Can you do this for me? Like, help. You know, I, and I don't think that before this round of research, I had thought of it as, as much of a, like, plea for someone else to help her. I think before I was picturing it as more of just a, her calling out, like, to herself, to experience, to the universe. But it really does seem like, at least in naming, like, Nightjar, transmit, transcend, like do the things that I am unable to do. It makes me think of in Cosmia too, when our narrator is grieving and she's yelling, can you hear me? Will you listen? Don't come near me. Don't go missing. Mm -hmm. And the listen light of you to help me cause me. I'm grieving. That also feels like a similar, like, you know, head to the sky, hands to the heavens, like, anyone anyone can you hear yeah. me and like also that that naming of them so we're naming rufus we're naming the bird we're naming christ here we're naming cosmia like yeah um yeah yeah i love that um melissa in that article continues to say that um that time as a symptom reverses the exploration of transcendence and, and imminence that we first got acquainted with in anecdotes so she writes, in anecdotes, we begin with Rufus tra traversing time itself, waging war with men, making an impact on civilization. But the narration ends in the familial and domestic space, the stationary, the realm of women. On the other hand, time as a symptom opens with a birth and ends with a plea from a narrator who cannot transcend time herself because of her gender, her imminence, to those who can conquer time to help sustain her joy transmit her message many of whom are characters who have already encountered who we have already encountered in the stories of divers the gods rufus nightjar from anecdotes the white ship upon which the men of the lightborn elite defy time and space i hadn't thought of that either and rufus received the message um he makes war he travels through time creates immortality through his time outside feminized spaces but he also finds joy in his family and fears time and his accomplishments within it because of his intimacy with others. Mm. Mm -hmm. I love the idea that Rufus, of all these people, Rufus gets the message. Rufus, like, Rufus is like, oh, okay. Uh, the message is, uh, while I get to transcend time, I can't lose the meaning of all of it. Like, I get this gift of being able to transcend but like, mm -hmm. what does it all mean? Why is it all useful? Certainly not for these endless wars. It's because of fucking family and joy of life. And that also seems like a privileged perspective to have, right? Like kind of having your feet in both worlds, having that that perspective of those who are imminent, but also getting to experience that, that tr transcendence. Oh, absolutely. Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. What else, Sam? I'm I got a little stuck on when you when you repeated white ship and that mm. makes me I don't know where it makes me go. 
makes me think of like, um, you know, in fairy tales, when someone appears on horseback to rescue the princess or whatever, yeah. for some reason my brain went there. Like to white horses? like Yeah. Which I know that we will touch on um, yeah. a little bit of horses today, which is just a treat. <laughs> I love that that Melissa connects that white ship with the ship on yes. Lightborn, on 101st Lightborn Elite. Mm-hmm. 101st Lightborn. Um, that's really, really cool. And again, something that I hadn't thought of, but that totally makes sense. And I love the idea that that this set of songs, the anecdotes and times of symptom as a couple feel like they're particularly important for the album as the like, you know, seeming end caps, but not really end caps because it's a cycle. Um, they seem at least, I'm going to tentatively say this to contain a lot of the themes of the entire album. Like it, they seem to really set the stage and then and then take down the stage uh, of a lot of the central shit that's happening throughout the whole thing. Yeah. In a very strange way, like the end of this song feels like it encompasses the entire album and it's not because it's straightforward, right? It's not like she's saying at all. I see Nikki shaking her head. It's not like she's saying, this is what we've talked about. And now, you know, everything's kind of imploding on itself. It's that, I don't know, is it the feeling? Is it like the way that like? Yeah, good questions. For me, I'd say the feeling is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. it it's like, it's almost like the feeling gets like amplified. Like it, yeah. like someone turns a knob up and is like, okay, now all of these things you must feel yeah. immediately and strongly because like death is imminent. Um it's the way she sings it too, right? Like there's like yes. a, a frantic quality to her voice near the end of this song too that just, like you said, amplifies everything. Totally. And then when I was reading that New York Times quote earlier too, I hadn't thought of this either, but the theme of multiplying, of being multiplied. So like when her voice, when she starts singing those different parts at the same time, I was like, yeah. oh shit, that's the same like cloning um uh, twinning, du- not duplicity, but like doubling that we saw in, I mean, multiple, multiple spots throughout the album. But the thing that comes to mind for me is, um, Waltz. Remember we talked about like doppelgangers and yep. like the possibility of running into old versions of yourself if you're time traveling slash like multiverse iterations of yourself slash like cyclicalness just being nothing other than like the repeating of the self. Um, and so I love the idea that that that's another way, that's another theme that is mushed into um, time as a symptom that we have become quite familiar with. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just reading the lyrics and just being like, this song, man. I also, I'm super intrigued by, and I think that I should like reach out to Melissa about this because it seems like she's done a lot of work um, professionally in this regard, but the feminization of death reminds me very much of conversations we had in Leaving the City about how, you know, in those verses where she's like, uh, like in December of that year, the word came around that she was here, the days were short and I were short. And we, we had talked about how like, I think she is, 
or one theory was that she there was death. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I think we discussed was that death is very, very, very typically in culture portrayed as a guy, like the, mm -hmm. like the Grim Reaper type mm -hmm. of character with some, a few cultural exceptions. But I love the idea that she's feminizing the space of death in this song too. So again, there's like that, like posing of the question in, in leaving the city or, or at least like setting the stage. And then that theme being reinforced or reiterated or even further explained a little bit in this last song of the album is really fucking cool to me. I'm just looking through, you mentioned narrators and I'm just skimming through to see the pronouns we're using here. So we have she, we have a mention of we, and then I think there was an, yeah, there's an I in there too. Hmm. Yeah. We're going to have to keep that in mind. Cause like there's an I, there's a your, so like how much are we hopping all over the place here? And like, who is the your, is it mm -hmm. the narrator's partner? Who's the um, we? Like, yeah. Is it the royal we or is mm -hmm. there, is it, is it the partner and she? Uh, all questions that we will keep in mind as yeah, we I go throughout. Questions here. Yeah. I might even for our next recording on this song, write down a list of questions that we can maybe come back to after our conversation. We will see. I'm but... gonna be honest with you. Most of my notes are questions. That's like perfectly fine. What is the task? <laughs> <laughs> what is the task? Okay, wait. I have things to say about that, but I'm gonna hold off until we actually like read the verse. But like. I'm so excited to talk, to talk about that with you. What is yeah. the task? What is what is Eleusinian mysteries? That is. Oh, uh... so <laughs> we've talked about. You know what's funny about my brain is that, like, like we said, we've done more than 133 of these episodes now, and uh, is it Melissa who mentions the Eleusinian mysteries? And I was like, hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. And then I went to the Wikipedia page. It was like been here before yes <laughs> man I know this pottery that's on the front page of the Wikipedia yes. thing like okay we've talked about all of this before but the details are like gone our potato brains need some sprouting it's not only the the themes that are getting mashed up here it's <laughs> our <four> potato brains <laughs> um it's so funny when you get to the Wikipedia article and you're like I guess I've looked into this but like I would yes. never be able to tell you that <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite thing from the do you want do we want to do we want to talk about this a little bit before we get into the lyrics or like well do you want to save it maybe let's save it because I okay. feel like I mean if that's okay with you it is because I yeah. feel like by just reading the lyrics I don't think that people would know why we're talking about the Eleusinian mysteries unless sure. you've looked into some of that shit a little bit more mm -hmm. but and even right now it. I can't yeah and remember exactly. Even right now, like, I don't think I could clearly articulate the connection without further notes on it. So maybe let's just hold off, even okay. though I'm so excited. Remember this point. Write this point down for yourself if you think you're going to forget it, because I need to know what your favorite part is. Oh, it's, yeah. Okay. You got it. It's in there. Yeah. Okay. She's pointing to her head, you guys. So I think it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to trust it. I just have joy of life. <laughs> giant, of giant letters here too i mean looking at the list of like michael hicks themes again 
Um, so many of them we've already talked about throughout this album. So the first one was darkness and light. <sighs> Even just, oh, whoops okay i was thinking about little hand <laughs> briefly yes and see, it's hard like, to keep this shit straight okay yeah sorry it's hard to keep it straight but like thinking about Janthina, Janthina, and like even like the realms of the ocean that like the man of war and the uh snail <laughs> what are you talking about occupy like we have darkness and, and light but okay bring it back we're talking about <laughs> time as a symptom as far as I know, there's no snails in time as a symptom, but I'm ready to be proved wrong. Totally. We are we are open to um to to proofs of the contrary. But like camouflage and visibility, I think, can be really beautifully applied here too, especially as you were talking about um um the female narrator being stuck, right? Like uh, how much does that render her? camouflaged or invisible in some way versus those who can transcend and um I guess not only like make themselves more visible but become more visible visible mm. visible and miserable <laughs> become more visible generally but also like uh, have access to more yeah totally the idea that like she blends in with the earth uh, is really cool because the earth, as Melissa had said, is already feminized in a lot of culture that that um, that she's stuck to the earth might in, might cause us or like might be one of the reasons why or might be associated with the reasons why we think of the earth as feminine. Um, mm -hmm. These very like material. Imminent beings. Um all being feminized might not be a coincidence. Mm -hmm. And War and Peace, we definitely talked about in Waltz. Um, I'm not sure what the uh, details I thought you meant the book couple. at first. I thought you meant the book War and Peace. And I was like, dude, I have literally no memory. Like, I don't even think I know anything about that book. <laughs> Just general categories. Gotcha, so. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. War and Peace. Okay. And or Peace. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, waltz. <sighs> Ignorance and knowledge. I mean, what were we just talking about in a pin light bent? Perspective. I feel like there's a certain knowledge to perspective. And also, I guess if we're talking about like being stuck versus being unstuck, um, I want to also say there's a certain ignorance to imminence that like, yeah, that lack of access again. I'm curious about that because like, how does our narrator know then to like ask for help from the transcendent beings? Like, I feel like she, well, I, well, I don't know. I really want to, to explore these questions further, but it really feels like she is very much aware of what she's missing out on. Like she knows maybe because she has to live in very close proximity with people who are transcendent, who get to leave and then come back. And she's like, I, I don't get the experiences, but like, I've heard about them. Like, I know what it's, I know what I'm missing out on. That or that her experience has not always been stuck. Yeah, it, right. it, that it's something that has changed over time. But it also makes me think about Colleen and Colleen's perspective um, because 
of something that I had thought that is now gone because <laughs> um, she gets to see both sides, right? Like she was living, oh, her, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. living in the ocean as whatever creature we decided she was narwhal seal Selkie. siren selkie. Um, but upon reaching land kind of had that forced, right. that forced stuck perspective as well. Oh yeah. That's very, that's a great point. Actually. I didn't, like she's had access to both worlds and now is stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a quote that I find compelling from Rachel Parent on the Blessing All the Birds, delving into diverse series. Um, so Rachel writes, birth is a forgetting, as is death. The cruelty of life is that we cannot remember, though we try, in art and story and song, to cling to this earth and these memories and this specific time. We forget in the moment we are born the lives we have lived before. At death, we are forgotten despite our best efforts. Time moves and flows both ways and we must stand brave, understand our place within it. This time, this place, all places, all time. Birth and death are not so separate, it seems. The birth at the beginning of time as a symptom is almost certainly this type of birth death as it was the hardest thing she'd ever do. It is a mother coming face to face with the birth of her child, her own rebirth as a mother, and the death of herself before motherhood. Motherhood is inextricably linked to both the world of the living and the world of the dead, and therefore time itself. So cool. Yeah, really cool. I love the idea. I mean, we've talked about this, but the idea of motherhood specifically being linked with um, death is super compelling to me because obviously we link motherhood with birth all the time, but not just feminine femininity with death, but motherhood in specific with death is super intriguing. And that, I think that speaks to a different kind of transcendence then too, right? That yeah. you as a mother are, <laughs> there's gotta be a better way to put this, but like the least imminent, like you are the least stuck because you are transcending so many realms at once. Yeah. Like you are the cause. You are the only reason anybody can transcend at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Mothers, I I mean, in a very cis normative framing here, mothers Mm -hmm. bring living beings into the world. And uh, in that context are responsible for the, uh, anybody's ability to transcend. Mm-hmm. But also I think Melissa had had alluded to this in um, something that she had written in the article, but the idea that like mothers in birthing <laughs> an individual have like kind of given them this death sense. So I think the way that Melissa put it is that like in giving birth to something, you're making them material in a way that they weren't before. And in doing so, what is that other than just to subject them to death and fear of death? And, and like in, in one sense, you're the reason that they're going to die, right? Because (laughs) they took a fucked up cycle. (laughs) It's It's a fucked up cycle. And like, super interesting to think of mothers that way. I, I don't, I very much don't want to say that it's empowering because like what is, I don't want to describe causing people to die as being something empowering, but at the same time, it gives mothers a more nuanced, um, I don't know, like perspective or something or maybe not like 
empowering, but powerful. Yeah, exactly. That's right. It's a lot of responsibility. Exactly. It's a lot of responsibility. And like all of this, everything that we've been dreading and desiring like to transcend and to explore and to be remembered and fear of being forgotten, all of it is because of this power of birthing people, right? Um, which that's cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, I... Would also love to talk more about, um, but I also just really don't want to read it. Finnegan's Wake. Dude, I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> like It is like everywhere it's described. It's like the hardest read you're ever going to read. It makes no sense I when you read it through. Know. It's like, but like, it feels wrong to not read it given this podcast. <laughs> Let's see if there's an audiobook. I just like I have absolutely no brain for hard things I right know. now. And I don't consider this podcast a hard thing because there's joy in this, but like I I can't read books right now. I can't yeah. like listen to podcasts. I don't know how you guys are doing out there, but like I can't <laughs> listen to podcasts that deal with anything heavy or like even watch shows that have like any meaningful content like it's a yeah. garbage time for my brain That's yeah it's so potatoey I don't know <laughs> so we'll get back to it but... we'll get back to it yeah I will entertain the idea of reading the audiobook um we'll see though I also might just go on Cliff's notes or something uh or whatever because the there's something about the the structure of the last few verses that I know are so mirrored in that work. Yeah. Um, like she's verbatim quoting. Uh, and also, God, I looked into this literally more than a year ago now, so it's, it's hard to remember. But there's something about a river being stuck in a river or something in Finnegan's Wake that very much made me think of like – the, the direction, the flow of time moving both ways. I don't know, but there are like for sure references there. And so thanks a lot, Joanna, for making us read the hardest read ever. Uh, <laughs> probably I very much will actually appreciate it, but it is intimidating to say the least. Yeah. Okay. So any other initial impressions before we wrap up this, this preliminary notes episode? I mean, the song is a bop. The song um, is a bop. Yeah, I would love to include the loop um, with these episodes, the loop audio, if we can do that. I think it'll add a little bit I will to try. our discussion. But if not, um, we can maybe post the link. Um, I know there's other people that have done it too. It, it exists out there. Um, I found one in the Facebook group too. Hmm. It's, I don't know. There's lots of it's. It's a big song. It's big feelings. It's, it's big problems. There's a lot. Yeah, it's big in so far as like these these themes are all humongous. It's big in so far as it's it, its place in the album seems just like paramountly important. It's big, like so. Even Rachel connects it to like to to East to Emily. So mm -hmm. she writes. In Emily, Joanna sings along a similar line that we are all in our lives embodiments of joy landlocked in bodies that don't keep. 
Time as a symptom is a repudiation of this line. It is an admission that though our bodies don't keep, joy is certainly not landlocked. It is transcendent, eternal, immortal. This song is, more importantly, a final rejection of the world of binaries that Divers has explored so thoroughly. It is a reminder that birth, death, man, woman, land, sea, city, garden are more and more are all equalized by time, which is a symptom of our, sorry, I can't read, uh, is all equalized by time, which is symptom of the original dust of our universe, love or joy, which is very beautifully put. Yes. I love the connection to Emily too, because that is one of my very favorite lines on East. Me too. Oh my God. I love the idea of this being a repudiation of that. Yes. Like, and it, it, sorry, go ahead. I love the idea that, that, and maybe this isn't happening, but that she's reflecting on her own music and like bringing back, because I know we both think everything's intentional. So like, not just that the word choice of joy is intentional, but like we're intentionally bringing it back to, um, a feeling, a moment, a narrator. Yeah, exactly. And like the, it, it seems too specific to be a coincidence given that we're not just talking, I mean, the joy part for sure, but mm-hmm. also she's, I can't believe she talked about it being landlocked. Like that's what imminent is. And so like that she's already in East in the first yeah. song of East talking about, about joy as being landlocked. And then here, yeah, like you said, maybe <laughs> reflecting on that or repudiating that, like saying, no, joy is not landlocked. Actually, that's the one way that we can transcend this otherwise very landlocked experience. Um, fucking cool, man. Really cool. <laughs> it is cool. I'm just looking at like the last few verses. I think another thing for me that makes the last, the entirety of song, the entirety of the song, but specifically the last few verses so loaded is because it almost feels like a bullet list of things. So like just here, a shore, a tide, a moored, a site, abroad, like I feel like we could write essays about her music and each of those things. Like how many times in Divers have we talked about the shore? Constantly. A thousand. A thousand. We've touched on the tide for sure as it relates to time, but also as it relates to like occupying that space between water and land. To be unmoored, like we were just talking about imminence and being landlocked and... um ascension and transcendence and then yes a sight like having perspective we talked about photography like yes um the amount of time i spent looking at like pictures from camera obscuras this week yes like ridiculous abroad again like distance space time like separation separation distance like man it makes me think of in waltz when we had that diagram of time and space like yes dude and that's in one two three four (laughs) five words yes yeah exactly man that's such a good way of of showcasing like how big this song feels how big and hectic and frantic and the way that she's listing those off in that way like it makes me really appreciate the New York Times description of like, it turns from lyrics into incantations. Like all of a sudden it it gets different. Like she's, I don't know if it's because she's dying or like, what is it? But all of a sudden she's just, she's like, doesn't have time for the flourishes anymore. She's listing. And somehow 
Joanna writes it in a way where like the listing doesn't feel cold and detached. It's the exact opposite. Somehow by just listing things, it's like the most emotional thing you've ever heard. But like, holy shit, what a feat. How do you do that, Joanna? You're just listing some stuff and like we're bawling. (laughs) I also find myself like moving a certain way to these parts. Like it's almost like you're swaying back and forth and like hitting each one. You're like a shore. Yes. Like a tide. Yes. Unmoored. Yep. Like a sight. Uh huh. Like, oh my God. I have a very vivid memory of listening to these songs for the first time and like driving. I don't know. Not, not even for the first time. Sorry. Like trying to like, like get into them, into them for the first time. And I had read like the lyrics on genius or something about that last part where she starts saying like a shore tide. And then Mm -hmm. I was listening as I was driving to the music and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I don't, that's not what she's saying. And I literally like pulled my car over, stopped, pulled up the lyrics and and had to like listen to the last part a bunch of times in order to properly hear her say like a shore, a tide. Cause there's big shit happening on top of it. And so it's underneath this like layer, 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 layer. And then like this different melody is happening. I'm like, oh, that's intriguing. Even as you're, as you're talking about layering, like we're back at Sapacon again. Yes. (laughs) The sprawlingness of this song, man. (sighs) Wow. What a feat. Yeah, I'm really excited to spend hours talking about each of these words with you. Um, I hope everyone else is excited to listen. If you have like, as always, like if you have big feelings about certain parts or if we haven't touched on anything yet, please like send us your thoughts. I also feel like this would be a good, I want to very much second that. And I also feel like this would be a good time to maybe put out a call for if anybody has divers as a whole theories or like things that we can (laughs) talk about in this sort of wrap up uh, episode, I would love for some voice memos on just like big themes, but also small themes are fine. But I, come on guys, joy of life, community, love each other and love us by sending your voice memos to us. We need some (laughs) multiple perspectives on this. It's only in keeping with the themes. So yeah, I would love to hear from our listeners about what they think about this absolute fucking masterpiece. Yes. Um, so we'll for sure do these episodes. Um, you know what I think we should do next if you're okay with it? Hmm. Make hay. Yes. I was just searching through our docs. I was like, did we do make hay? We didn't. I have a document for it because Michael Hicks has a three-part series on make hay. Yay. That's (laughs) exciting. So we'll do a make hay. We'll finish this series. We'll do a diver's art for sure. I would also, I know we've already done a diver's overview, but maybe we could do a diver's underview. (laughs) Let's do a diver's (laughs) underview. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. That sounds great to me. And then cool. we can cling to it as long as possible. And I guess the milk-eyed mender is after all of that. Oh, boy. Which I love. Love. I love the milk-eyed mender. Of course. I know. I was saying that to David and despairing about being almost done with divers. And he was like, yeah, it's because you don't like the milk-eyed mender. I was like, that is such How blasphemy. Dare like, you. Absolutely <laughs> never say that again in this household. <laughs> And I was like, having said that, it is my least favorite of her albums. And not just 
that. I love it. I love that fucking album. I would, it's one of my favorite albums of all time, but like, yeah, whatever. We'll get to it when we get to it. I just feel so much less confident going into that from the perspective and like our approach as this podcast, but we're going to do our best. And I know that a lot of people out there, uh, have big opinions on Milk Eyed Mender too. So I want to hear what people have to say. Okay. All right. We exist all (laughs) over the internet. Um, we are on Facebook. (laughs) We are on Facebook. (laughs) We are Joanna Newsome. Nope. A Hopeless Endeavor, Endeavor, a Joanna Newsome podcast. Um, We have over 500 people there. Come hang out with us. Come hang out. Uh, It's a fun time. Yeah. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram if you want to. We are a Hopeless Endeavor podcast. Um, Sam has links there. Links, you guys. Yep. There's a link tree to Facebook, to the episodes, to um, the Beats that are featured on our episodes by the incredible David. Um, the Patreon. And our Patreon. Yes, our Patreon, which, oh my God, seamless transition. You should check it out. It is uh, patreon.com slash endeavor. There you can find early episode releases and bonus episodes. And I think we've said this this recording already, but Sam and I just recorded a multi-part, except for it's only one part when you guys are going to hear it, but a little episode on little hands. It's an by hour. Little, I it's was almost gonna a say, whole hour. <laughs> my description of all of that was terrible. Listen, there's a new bonus episode on little hand. It's not a little episode. It is an, like 50 minutes. Um, so check that out. We're doing like a, we're slowly and surely making our way through a little series on initial impressions about the new music. So we're sort of interlacing that with, Um, just our regular bonus episodes where we talk about listener theories so that we can take our sweet time. But Mm -hmm. if you're interested in that, uh, come join us on Patreon. Hopelessendeavor at gmail.com is our email. Yes. Is that all the things? Hopefully we'll get a phone line soon. Oh, yeah. That was the thing we said on that gong show of a recording day. Jesus. Okay. We'll look into that. Um, If you want to rate and review us, we get a joy of life blast of love (laughs) when that happens so feel free so we would love that thank you guys so much for being here thank you for being here with us through all of divers if you have been and we're excited to i don't want to say to wrap up we're excited to talk about this song we're excited to explore the fucking majesty of this song we have dread about it being the end and that's it for now thanks guys thanks so much 